You know, it is so important, like you have done here, ushering in the Holy Spirit. I could minister in my gift as a prophetic teacher. Adam can, can minister as a seer. But, you know, there are two occasions in Scripture where Jesus goes to go past and continue on, uh, almost like, you remember they're rowing in the boat? And uh, he, he makes to go out beyond them until they go, ah, oh, it's a ghost. And then suddenly they freak out and they call him towards them. And in Luke chapter 24, he also makes out to go on beyond where the two disciples stop. I don't know whether you've observed that before. Bit of a thing that should grab your attention. Anything that grabs your attention, you need to dwell in that in the place of Scripture. That's because they, are rep they represent post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And as a post-resurrection now, he comes to us as Holy Spirit. And if we're not careful, we can blunder our way through in our natural strengths and giftings without inviting him. And it's really, really important that we do invite him. So, Father, we do thank you for the outpouring of your spirit upon the death of Christ. Lord, we thank you that heaven is open right now. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Every one of us welcome you into our heart. Lord, I, I have a message on my heart, but delivering it without your Holy Spirit carrying that to the hearts of your people, Lord, it's going to be ineffective. So Holy Spirit, I pray, help me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this I've preached from this passage of Scripture, but this is a new message for this congregation, for this time. And so, excuse me, I would normally like to work without notes. And uh, that's my, you know, the, the way that I like to do things so that they come from my heart and I own what I'm preaching. It's almost like the king had to rewrite the law so that he had it in his heart. And uh, I've, I've got a new book, uh, but this is a sidestep from parts of that. And there are parts of the book in here. And so I will need my notes to refer to just to, to guide me. Now, the kingdom of God is here right now. And one of the things that I think is really important is this is called a prophetic weekend. So I want to touch on the prophetic. But I also want you to understand that we exist in a day when the kingdom's in operation. And, um, and that involves having an understanding, a brief understanding of eternal time. If we can grasp eternal time, and it sinks home to us and witnesses in our hearts, then when we come to the Old Testament, we are able to read it in the light of the cross and it becomes alive in a new way. All right, so let me, let me demonstrate for you. In Matthew, I'm not going to go to my passage yet, but in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8 is really the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew's Gospels. And Matthew's Gospel, of course, is the Gospel of the Kingdom. Is that okay? You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and each one portrays a different aspect of the gospel. But it's the gospel of the kingdom. And in Matthew 5, Jesus outlines what we call the Beatitudes, which are the precepts of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit all the way through to blessed are those who persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Two pillars, two bookends, two bookmarks for us to draw our attention that those eight precepts are the foundation of the kingdom. And then what he does is he opens that up in the rest of Matthew 5, 6 and 7 in the words of red. And he fulfills and opens up the, and fills out those eight precepts or tenets or foundations of the kingdom. And then from Matthew 8 onwards, he then fills out and shows and demonstrates the kingdom in operation. 
So Matthew 8 is the beginning of the gospel of the kingdom and Jesus operating in that gospel. First of all, he heals a leper. I haven't got time really to open that up too much here. He heals a centurion's servant. And then he goes to Peter's house and you know the story that he healed his mother-in-law of a fever and she serves them. Correct? But then that night they bring to him all those that are sick and demon-possessed. And with a word he cast out the demons and all those who were sick, he laid a hand on them and they recovered. You know that story? But then it says this amazing thing. It says, and he did this to fulfill what Isaiah wrote, that he bore our sicknesses and diseases. Let me ask you a question. When did Jesus bear our sicknesses and diseases? At the cross of Christ. And if we want to be technically correct, technically correct, then we must also consider that the Bible says that by his stripes we, you, we are healed. Or you were healed in Peter, but you, you are healed from Isaiah. So from Scripture, we know that Jesus bore our sicknesses and diseases from Isaiah at the cross, correct? But we're in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus hasn't yet gone chronologically to the cross. So what is he doing? What he's doing is he's harnessing an eternal truth. He's stepping out of chronological time into eternity, harnessing an eternal truth that he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. He's grabbing a hold of that truth and stepping back into chronological time to apply that truth. You and I have that privilege. You and I have the privilege of drawing from heaven's resources. It's called the kingdom. It's called the glory. Israel moved into the land, the promised land. We move into the land of God's promises. And as we withdraw on that and as we understand and unlock that and God releases revelation to us, when God ever, whenever God releases revelation to us, we have the authority to stand in that revelation and apply that revelation. And so as we draw from that eternal truth that he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, that he bore our sicknesses and diseases, and then Jesus applies that in that chronological time frame. Are you okay? If we understand that, then the rest of the kingdom will start to fall in place for us. So many places I could go to and draw from, but I'm trying to keep this in line with the time frame that I've got here. So what I would like to do now is I want us to come, if you have your scriptures or your Bible on your, on your phone, I want to read 2 Kings chapter 2, which prophetically is the, an outline of the last day of Elijah on planet Earth. But do you know that the, the, the journeys in Scripture portray truth for us as a parable? And each one of those journeys has an encoding in it. So eternal truth is hidden to the naked eye. Last night we explained that when the language of the kingdom is parables. And we explained that it's not just Matthew 13, 18, 20 and 21. Not just what we call a story or a narrative with the truth behind it, but it is an enigma, a, a riddle, a puzzle. And so the kingdom is veiled to us. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out and to draw from that truth. 
And so that's our, that's our glory today. That's our privilege to draw from that truth. And the journeys in Scripture, how did Jesus mature? Well, that's, that's portrayed for us in the temptations, or what we call the temptations, but the tests of Christ in the wilderness. All right? How did uh, um, Isaac... Uh, grow to become a true son of God. That's outlined for us in the wells that he passed through and the incidents and what took the interactions that took place as he goes in Genesis 26 from uh, Sitnah to Esek to Rehoboth to Beersheba. And each one of those portrays a stage in his growth and maturity. I want to show us this other passage here in 2 Kings chapter 2 because this is not only... That which is not written about how did Elijah train Elisha is how God wants to train us. It's how God wants to lead us. And it's our passage as well as his passage. So really, it really it holds some major, major clues for us. So 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm reading from the New King James Version here. And it says, verse 1, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Let me tell you this, that if we read the scriptures in the light of the cross, suddenly this passage comes alive to us. And its, and it's, a, it's applicability or it's how we can apply this passage becomes such a poignant, you know, a poignant point. It becomes such a powerful thing. I'm, I'm saying that here at the very beginning because in, elsewhere in scripture... In Jeremiah 23, verse 19, and Amos chapter 1, verse 14, a whirlwind is used by God as wrath, the wrath of God judging. And so one of the keys to unlocking the passages of Scripture to see the truth beneath them is if you can find the cross or see the cross revealed in that passage. And in this passage, it starts off with a whirlwind, which elsewhere is translated or interpreted to be the wrath of God in Jeremiah and in Amos. And so we know that when Christ was on the cross, God, Jesus bore the wrath of God for our sin, correct? Yeah. And then when you come to the end of this passage, or the passage that I'm going to read to, it says in verse 11, And it happened as they continued on and talked, then suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses. Right, let me go back to a little bit further. Uh, and verse 9 of this chapter, chapter 2, it says, And so it was when they had crossed over, the Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what you may, I, may I do for you before I'm taken away from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Verse 10, So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then suddenly as he's taken away, he cries out, My father, my father, the chariots of the Lord and his horsemen. And then suddenly... He casts down his mantle and he receives it and he grabs a hold of that which Elijah had left him. Correct? That to me reminds me of someone ascending in the book of Acts. You know, and when Jesus ascended, we have been depleted. The church has been depleted of the gospel. Uh, we have been, as evangelicals, we've been sold the gospel that the gospel is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 4. And that is primarily that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Correct? All right, that, that's what we've heard is the gospel. But let me tell you that the gospel, that's an incomplete gospel. 
Because in 1 Corinthians 15, if you read all the way through to verse 25, you'll find that he's waiting for his, he's seated alongside the Father, waiting for his enemies to be put under his footstool. That means that he's enthroned. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, and it says, When he ascended, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men, is the scene of a triumphant king coming from the scene of a battle with the treasures and the loot, the spoils of war, and all those that were held captive by the enemy coming back to the seat of his throne and on the way dishing out the gifts to all of his people. And you and I are in that train. You and I are in that procession. We're in that parade rejoicing that he set us free. We, are, we have been duped and, and blindsided to a truth that Jesus is now enthroned in heaven. And as such, the kingdom's in operation here right now. And just as Jesus demonstrated there in Matthew chapter 8, he drew from eternity, we have been sold the lie that the kingdom is only futuristic. And that when Jesus returns, he's going to establish a kingdom. What that does is sets us up as Christians that, so that we think that we will enter eternity when we die. But the Bible says we have eternal life now. And we need to understand how to access that life right now. Jesus is enthroned. First Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14 says this. It says, Giving thanks to the Father who's caused us to be partakers of an inheritance. We're rejoicing that we've got an inheritance. And he has translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You and I have been translated from the powers of darkness unto the rule of the sun, correct? And then it says, and we have redemption through the shedding of his blood. Now, we've made it on redemption through his blood, but we forgot that there's a kingdom here right now. And the devil loves that. Because if we major in on redemption, and, and don't get me wrong, you need the cross and you need redemption and you need the blood of Christ. But if we major on that, then we become a historical society irrelevant to a dying world. But if we realize the power that's available to us and the resources available to us, you know, like we've made communion about examining our hearts, remembering that Jesus died for us and his blood shed. And we repeat that over and over and over and over again. And we have a table before us that goes into the distance that you could not see the end of, replete with goods and, and provision from him. And we're just sort of caught in our little corner you know, just eating what's in front of us and we're not realizing all of the substance that he wants to give us. Yeah. Are you okay? Yeah. So what you have here are some bookends. You have that it's the last day, it's a whirlwind, it's a picture of the cross, of the judgment of God at the cross. And then also Jesus' ascension and going to the throne. And, and Elijah says to him, if you see me taken then you'll have it. The church, if the church doesn't see Christ ascended, then they don't have what he's given them. They don't have the authority of the throne and of the kingdom. Are you okay? So, let's read the rest of the passage as, as best we can. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. So they're at Gilgal. Now let me tell you that Gilgal means rolling stone. It means stone, it means rolling. I'm not, I'm not talking about these stones, you know, Mick Jagger and those guys. All right, it means, 
it means 12 stones that were rolled to mark the crossing of the Jordan River. It also means the place where the foreskins were cut off. It was a hill of foreskins cut off before they step, stepped into the promised land. And what that refers to is they were cutting off the flesh so they could move into the promises of God. But also they, they, they enacted a seven-day Passover before they moved in. So it's the Passover. Who is the Passover lamb? It's Jesus Christ. So Gilgal represents a stone or rolling heart, a stone upon our hearts being rolled away and suddenly the revelation of Jesus dying for us and I've entered into something. Wow. And then, they, then Elijah says to Elisha, stay here because the Lord's called me to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. All right. Now, one of the things that I, would, I want to impart to you is this. When you are reading Scripture, there is a narrative, there's a story. But if you want to drill down beyond the story, some of the tools that you will need are these. The Bible says in Isaiah 34, verse 16, this is my paraphrase. It says, every Scripture has a mate. Every Scripture has a mate. It doesn't say in that, those words, but paraphrase it like that. It says none of these words of the Lord will need a mate or seek a mate because it's there. So every scripture has a mate. If you are reading a passage of scripture and another scripture goes off, bring that scripture into the passage. And like two lens, you will get a depth of field like a microscope or a telescope and you will be able to see something deeper than you could if you were just barely reading the narrative. Are you Okay. The Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 13 that the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So you've got to put your spiritual eyes on as you're reading spiritual truth to interpret what he's saying. Okay. So at Bethel, before they go from Gilgal to Bethel, Elijah says to Elisha, stay here because the Lord's called me to Bethel. This journey is not only the overview for Elijah and Elisha, but it's our overview. If the cross is there and it depicts the entry point for us to step into a kingdom truth or a, an Old Testament truth. You know, we're not, well, let me say this. Sometimes we forget the, the worth of the Old Testament. Do you know that when Samson killed a lion and then drew honey out of that lion, that's a depiction of Jesus Destroying the law and the legalism of the law, the authority of the law, and then drawing honey out of the law and going on eating that. Honey revelation. We need honey revelation. You know, the, the Old Testament, it may be written in history, it may be couched in the law, but within it are truths that we need to harness. You will not fully understand the kingdom unless you, you realize it's one book from cover to cover, and God has pr provision for us in that. If you stay in the New Testament, then you'll stay a baby. You do need the New Testament, and I would recommend that you read that first and foremost. But when you start to dig and start to become mature, you need to have a look, look at the Old Testament to see what the Holy Spirit will open up to you because there's truth and pr provision there that we need to harness. <sighs> Every step of the way that God leads us, this is both a, the big picture. Where are you going? You and I are going from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. What do you mean, Adrian? Well, in Scripture, 
in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. And most churches don't like this last bit. And they love not their lives unto death. All right. In the book of Song of Songs, it says it like this. My beloved's mine and I'm his. And then it says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. And then it says, I'm my beloved's and his desire is toward me. Wow. Do you see in the Song of Songs, there's a maturity that takes place. It's all about me first, what I get and then I give. My beloved's mine. And I'm his. Give it to me first. And then I'll give. And it changes around and says, now I'm my beloved's and he is mine. And so now we've realized I've got to let go. But I still want that. I still want a promise. And to an abandonment, a place of abandonment where we go, I'm my beloved's and his desire is toward me. You know, here I am. Lord, you know, I die for you. All right. Now, Every one of those steps along the way, Joseph had to make the same progression. In the beginning of his life, he says, Look, guys, I had a dream. He's got pride. And he says, do not dreams or interpretations belong to God? No, he actually says this. I've had a dream. Gather around, guys. Then he comes to the place with the prisoners and he goes, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me. And then he goes to a place where he goes, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He matures in the process. And every one of us is in a different stage of that process. But you see here, Elijah says to Elisha, stay here. I'm going on. Every step of the way is voluntary. You can stop wherever you feel like you need to stop. But what God wants is your hunger. And let me tell you, this is not just the big picture this is your prayer life. Have you ever gone into the presence of God and then suddenly the sons of the prophets come and say, well, don't you know that your master's going to be taken away from you today? And Elisha says, be silent. Hold your peace, he says in old King James. You go into your prayer life and suddenly you get a text. That thought comes that you've got to write it on the list for your shopping. You've got to get, you know, something's on TV or as a Facebook post. Or you've got to do and run an errand. Suddenly the distractions come and you're rushing through your prayer time because you know you've got something to do. Are you there? Come on, we're all tired with the same brush. But God, what God does is he speaks to us and then he withdraws. Do you ever push through that withdrawal? Because that's what God wants from us. Are you there? Wow. You know, and sometimes we settle for the first entry point of our prayer life and not realizing, well, it's gone. What do I do now? It's all over. I'm going to just go back to doing what I've got to do because I'm in a hurry to do it. But God says, wait there and push through that. Because It's like in Song of Songs, the beloved's at the lattice. His fingers are on the latch. And she goes, well, look, do I have to get up? I've just taken all my clothes off. I've got my shoes off. I don't want to get them dirty. She goes, oh, okay. Then she gets there and he's gone. And then she's running in the city going, where's he gone? Where's he gone? That's us and our love relationship with him. And so he withdraws. All right. If God's not speaking to you now, all right, press through because he's drawing you and he wants you to mature. All right. So that's Gilgal to Bethel. At Bethel, Elijah says to him, look, stay here, Elisha. God's calling me to Jericho. 
Now, Jericho is the place of victory. It's the city of palms. It's also referred to in Scripture as the city of palms. But you know how Jericho was surrounded and the walls came tumbling down. And last night explained that the angels were involved in that destruction. Well, it's the place of victory. And the place of victory for us is our faith is at the victory. Amen. But listen to this. The guys at Bethel are the sons of the prophets. The Ben Nabi or the, the, the Nabi prophets are the spokesmen of God. Now understand this. That a priest represents the people to God. That's a priest's role in the Old Testament. But a prophet represents God to the people. Every one of you has been called to be in a measure a prophet. So you represent God to the people. Your workplace, your family. Are you with me? Now these prophets or these Ben-Nabi, these sons of the prophets, the school of the prophets, they had revelation. They said, don't you know that your, that your master will be taken from you today? It's not enough just to have revelation. And, and we, as we move from rev, just having revelation to the place of Jericho, Jericho is the place of victory. Now, when the children of Israel were moving out of Egypt into the promised land, God had one verse that summarized or encapsulated the truth that they needed to learn in the wilderness. Now, you and I have come out of the world. We're going to the land of God's promises. We need to understand this same truth. And that truth is found in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 where it says, How I led you into the wilderness, I humbled you and I caused you to hunger. And I fed you with manna that you didn't know, that your fathers didn't know, that you might come to know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or is spoken by the mouth of God. You know that verse? Now, in that verse, it defines for us what manna is. Manna in the Old Testament is as the voice that's spoken from the mouth of God. So manna in the Old Testament is revelation in the New Testament. Are you okay? You go, well, that's Old Testament, Adrian. Well, we also see it in the New Testament because we pray a prayer. We've entitled it, or someone has, the Lord's Prayer. We say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily... What's daily bread? It's manna. We need revelation every day. Otherwise, our spirit is dying. Yesterday's manna breeds maggots. Yesterday's manna is what we have is teaching. We need fresh manna. We need fresh revelation. At each place, the prophets, so the prophets of Jericho say, don't you know that your master's going to be taken from you? And again, Elisha steals them. Here, he's come to that place in his prayer. How did Elisha know these things? And how did he know to press through? Because this was his micro journey as well as his macro journey. This was his journey in prayer pushing through each time God withdrew, push through, push through and don't settle for the deposit. So often we stop and we go, I've got a revelation, write it down. We think, oh, we've achieved what we need to in God there. Do you understand what I'm saying? But you know that the victory comes when you apply the revelation. And so Jericho is the place of revelation. Now, sometimes God speaks loudest when he doesn't say anything at all. And we must learn that as well. What do you mean, Adrian? Well, David meets Goliath, but, Goliath's, but King Saul's armor doesn't fit David. What armor does fit David? You know, he, he says he hadn't tried Saul's armor, hadn't tested Saul's armor. Whose armor had he tested? 
God's armour. Because when he comes to, to face Goliath, he says, you come to me with sword, spear and shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. L-O-R-D. That's yud Hey vav Hey. I come to you in Yod, hand, hey, behold, nail, and hey. So he comes in anglicized that you'd say, I come to you and behold the hand, behold the nail. Bam! I'm at the cross and I'm going to enforce the victory here right now. This is a picture of Jesus at the cross overcoming the devil. That stone is a revelation that takes down the devil. He then runs to the devil. How does he actually kill him? Well, he, he runs to the devil and he draws a sword. Whose sword? The devil's or the Goliath's sword, correct? Why? Because the devil uses the word of God against us. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. And what does he accuse us with? Because we fail according to the law. But Jesus is victor according to the law. And so Jesus overcame the devil. And any accusation against you has been defeated because Jesus met that condition in his sacrifice for us. Whew. Let's go back. And so you have here... As he's making this progression with Elijah and Elisha, he's pushing through all the obstacles. You know, resistance makes us stronger. You know, you know the story about the caterpillar and the butterfly and how if you release the butterfly and cut out, the, out of the chrysalis before it can break its way out, then it doesn't have any strength within its little butterfly muscles or bones or whatever it happens to be to fly. And so that resistance strengthens us. And the things that you've been through strengthen you and make you who you are. Are you there? So God is doing us a favor. He's training us. And here right now, God wants us to realize that you have to persist and push through that absence. You have to push and go, well, I, he was here in this place. I'm back in that place again. Re revisit where you last were. And then push through that and say, God, God, I'm not leaving here until you come. Shut that door, turn off the phone, switch your computers off and dwell there until he comes because he will come and then he will draw again. He'll download to you revelation, but don't stop at that very first download to you. Are you okay? Whew. You have so many young people here and what I want to do is I want you to understand that, you know, when, when Elijah and this passage he, when the whirlwind's there, that's the, the top of a scroll. That's a bookend. And when uh, you see Jesus or you see Elijah taken up, that's Jesus being lifted up and ascended into heaven. That's the other bookend. And so those two bookends tell you that there's a scroll there and that scroll is your and our destiny or the path to our destiny. And we need to realize that everyone's talking about scrolls at the moment, but realize that you can harness and step into your scroll if you start to walk it out. Are you Okay. It's one thing to receive the mantle uh, as Elijah touched Elisha, but it's another thing to put it on at the end of the journey. You know, the Bible says many are called, but few are, and it says chosen. But let, let me say this, few make the journey. Few, few persevere through the trials and the tests to grab a hold of the mantle when it's released that it'll, so that we fit it. Amen? Okay. This is the blueprint for every one of us. It's not just for Elisha and not just for prophets because if it has encases the cross, then we are in that as well. 
And because it's repeated throughout Scripture that we have Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. We see it in the book of Song of Songs. We see it throughout Scripture, this same progression. We're going, okay, we've got to grab a hold of that. Do you know that two and a half tribes stopped short of moving into their inheritance? Do you know who they were? They were Reuben, which means behold a son. Gad, which means a troop or a crowd. And Manasseh, which means causes to forget. Or causing to forget. Let me put those three, those three words or names together. Behold a son following the crowd causes to forget. What does he cause to forget? He causes to forget that he's a son of Abraham and that the promised land was destined and he had an inheritance in that promised land because God promised him in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, I'm going to give this to all of your seed. And the Bible says in the book of Galatians that we've been engrafted into the seed of Abraham through faith in Christ. And that promised land is ours. But if we follow the crowd and don't carve out a time with the Lord, we won't move into what he has for us. We'll camp on this side of the Jordan. God wants us to push through and camp in all of his promises. Whew. That's... At Jericho, the place of victory, another place where Jesus hides truth without being spoken is the time when the Sadducees or the chief priests came to him and they said, where do you get your authority, Jesus? And he said, let me ask you a question. He says, the baptism of John, where was it from? And they go away, they consult, and they go, well, if we say it was from men, then he'll say, the, stone, well, the crowd will stone us. And if we say it's from God, then Jesus will say, well, why didn't you believe him? So what are we going to do, guys? Well, uh, let's just say we don't know. All right, so we don't know. And Jesus goes, neither will I tell you where I get my authority. Do you know that authority did answer their question, but they it was so dull they missed it. Authority comes when you're not double-minded. Authority comes when your heart and your head say the same thing. And so he answered their question, but they didn't realize that he was answering their question. Wow. And so the place of Jericho is the place where your, your heart, you receive revelation from God. You draw it. It's like a running river, like it is for Gideon. And you draw it to your mouth for his 300 men. And suddenly the revelation that God's placed in your heart through the Spirit of God and it comes out of your mouth, suddenly that is truth. What is truth? Truth is when your heart and your head say the same thing. Like the tumblers on a lock. Click, 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 click. And suddenly it's not you speaking, but it's God speaking through you. And as soon as you do that, who pulled down the walls of Jericho? Why did Joshua have an encounter with the Lord of hosts in Joshua chapter 5 before, he, before they you know, went forward to pull the walls down or to see the walls come down? Because God was there and these armies were there. And in obedience, suddenly when they're obedient, the angels go to work to pull down that, 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 that structure, that stronghold, that barrier. And so there they are. They're rejoicing in that. And, and God lets them stay there because it's voluntary where you want to camp. You want to play, you want to stay at Gilgal? Do you want to move on to Bethel? Do you want to move to Jericho where you start to apply the revelation that God gives you? And then you have a choice. Because now Elijah says to Elisha, stay here because God's called me on to Jordan. Jordan means death 
or descender. It actually, the name actually literally means death or descender. So that when you start to understand this and you're reading Old Testament passages of Scripture, in Joshua chapter 3, the priests, the high priests are bearing the ark. And the Bible says that as they're bearing the ark, now the, bar, the ark, the bark, the ark is a wooden box encased in gold. It's humanity and the glory of God on that humanity. But in the ark, what's in the ark? First of all, there is, what, three things. There's the manna. And my Bible says in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. I'm the full, I'm the living revelation. We think sometimes that, that words are separate from people, but people are words. They are their word. We'll be judged by our word because our words are us. And Jesus is the living revelation. He is this, the living this. He's, he fed 5,000 people with five loaves. Five loaves of bread speaks of the grace of God rather than the judgment of God. What's in that ark? The manna. Who is the manna? The true manna? Jesus said, I'm the bread from heaven. John 6. There's Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod that budded represents resurrection life. It was cut and it was dead, but then it sprouts out and it produces leaf and, and flower. So that's resurrection. And Jesus says in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Correct? And then also in there are the Ten Commandments or the two tablets that contain the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, or the Bible says in John 1, 1, I'm the Word. You know, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. So He is the epitome of those Ten Commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Is that okay? So in that box, in that ark, who's there? Jesus. And so as he steps into Jordan, which means death or descender, what happens? They, they're bearing the ark. And what happens to Jordan? Joshua chapter 3. The waters do what? Well, actually do more than part. All right. That's, whenever there's a parting of water, it represents death. Right. So that's true of Moses coming through the Red Sea. But it's also true of our guys here. They're passing through death. Or because of the passing of the waters. Day two, that's death as well. That's the parting, passing of the parting of the waters above from the waters underneath. But that's another story. But so they don't just part, but watch what happens. They roll back and they roll back to a town. And the name of that town is Adam. That's rather coincidental, don't you think? Now watch this. The Bible says, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Jesus steps into death to bring us into the promises of God. And suddenly that rolls all the way back to Adam. Wow. You and I have all come from Adam. You and I have all had generational issues come down to us. But if we realize that we can harness the truth of Joshua chapter 3, it means that every generational curse has no legal right in your life. So, Father, here right now and everybody within earshot of this message, Father, Lord, we just declare no generational curse can alight because of Christ. And Christ has set us free from the curse of the Lord because it says in Galatians 3.13, Cursed is he who hangs in a tree. Thank you, Jesus, that you took our curse, that we would step into the freedom and the blessing. It's opposite, the glory, instead of a curse in Jesus' name.
And so, Father, we break off any words that have been spoken over us. Your uncle, your father, your mother, they had this issue. Your son had this issue. Father, we just declare right now and we invoke your word. Lord, the promises of God are yes in him and amen in him. Father, we find ourselves in him. We place ourselves in him. And Father, we pray that you would break through the blood of Christ every single curse that's trying to find its way into our family. The blood of Christ. And Father, we, we plead the blood of Christ around our lives, around our hearts, and around our homes and our family in Jesus' name. Whew. As they get there to Jordan, they pass through death. The waters roll back. Elijah and Elisha move over. And then Elijah says to him, what do you want me to do for you before I'm taken? And he says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Now, it's in interesting. Elisha does, does perform twice the miracles of Elijah. But double portion not only means twice as much, it means taking on the family inheritance so that you would lead that family. So if there were three of you in the family, the eldest would get two quarters and they would divide it so that you got twice as much as everybody else. Does that make sense? That's your double portion because you've got to lead the family the rest of the way. In fact, what that is, is this. He says, I want a double portion of your spirit. What he's saying to Elijah is, I want to be the man or the person who takes on the mantle from you so I can lead others into this. And now if we realize that it's Jesus here in type, all right, and he is being judged for us and now being taken up and he's seated in heavenly places and we also are seated alongside of him in heavenly places. He's given us that authority. As Elijah drops the mantle, it's a picture of Jesus releasing the Holy Spirit to us. And if we will take up that and we step into denying ourselves, he must increase and I must decrease and we allow him to live through us, it's not you but it's Christ in you. It's behold the hand, behold the nail in every situation. And the enemy, the enemy calls for a man. He says, send me a man. Israel, send me a man. The enemy always wants to face you in the flesh, but you must face him in Christ, clothed in Christ. And you go, no, no, no. It's not me. I've got no strength in myself, but it's by your spirit, Lord. Amen. And so we stand in, through the blood of Christ you know, the cross and the kingdom, you can't separate the cross and the kingdom. Everywhere in the Old Testament where you find the cross is a key to the kingdom or a revelation that needs to be unlocked. And when God unlocks that revelation to you, the Father's given you that revelation. You know, when Peter said, Jesus said, who do the men say that I am? And he said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. He says, but who do you say? And he goes, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. When you get a revelation, who's releasing that? The Father. And when you stand in that revelation, you have the authority to move in that revelation. Well, that's great, isn't it? That's why when we're interpreting dreams, when we're seeing visions and we're speaking out words of knowledge, we know that because God's released that to us and given us the interpretation, we can stand and move into that authority to see things done. You and I are Holy Ghost terrorists. You and I are wells from heaven you are a portal to another place and god wants us to step beyond playing church so that we pursue him draw from him and his, the radiance of his glory we carry that so that we can change our world and as we lay down our lives for him suddenly it's not me but it's christ in me the hope of glory are you there 
God is calling every one of us. But you know, every step of the way, it's a voluntary step. You don't have to do anything. You can be comfortable where you are and God's happy with that. But stir yourselves. Get the zeal of God. New zeal. Become that new zeal so that you step in and say, God, I'm not satisfied. You know, if you see that you can move like Elijah, that should move you. But if you could see that you can move like Christ, everybody who professes Christ should walk as Christ walked. Wow. That's not only in humility, but it's in power as well. And God is beckoning us. He's wooing us and he's saying, come on, church. Come. This is the day when the Elijahs will arise. Hallelujah. Are you good? Woohoo!